And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgans, founder of Marknology, here as today's host of Startup Hustle, covering all things e-com, Amazon, marketplaces, you name it. Today's guest... um, we actually met at the Sell and Scale Summit in Las Vegas and uh, popped into my booth and we just started chatting it up. I think we probably passed 30 minutes or an hour there pretty quickly, just chatting about uh, Amazon and content and really just having a lot of fun with it. Before I introduce him and we get more into his story, I'd love to give a shout out for today's sponsor. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably. And as a platform to help you manage that team, visit FullScale.io to learn more. And today's guest, Brad Curtis, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's rare sometimes that you, at a conference, or whatever, you just like you know strike up a conversation and just kind of chat it out for a bit and kind of vibe and just like you know get get a, a little flow to a conversation. I thought have to get you on the show. Um, we started getting into your history a little bit there, even in those those first few minutes of meeting. And I was like, wow, this guy is, uh, I feel like I'm OG in the Amazon space at times. And I feel like you've been here and have been like seeing things get built out. So I would love if you would just take a few minutes, like, tell me about the, um, you know, how you got into e-commerce. Tell me how you got into entrepreneurship in general. I know you do a bunch of different things. Yeah. Um someone's story is kind of is everything to me so like you know did you start out wanting to be an entrepreneur wanting to be a businessman like you know or is it something kind of fell into (laughs) no i started out like most people i just want to make a living (laughs) you know okay okay uh, but you know i i came from a pretty creative background i think uh you know my mom is an opera singer uh my dad was a fine arts major uh and um you know they moved out to california from iowa um, and kind of fell into the Silicon Valley area and, and, uh, you know, my dad just did a bunch of work with ad agencies and copywriting and all that sort of stuff. And my mom was singing for the San Francisco opera. And so we grew up in this kind of creative environment and, uh, um, I didn't really discover creativity until about high school, really. Um, I kind of rebelled against the, the parents, you know, that, that sometimes mm-hmm. happens. And, uh, no, I didn't want to sing or play guitar or anything like that or do anything artsy. Um, but, uh, I found out, uh, later on, um, uh, that I actually enjoyed those things. So, um, yeah. have a creative background, uh, but most of my life has really been set on the operational or the, um, business side of, of things. Um, I use my creativity mostly to keep me sane, <laughs> you know, I see uh, the guitar behind you. I see the guitar behind you. Oh yeah. 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 That's ever present. Um, and, um, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of where I got started, but, um, I guess in the e-commerce world, I owned a ad agency for, or no, not an ad, a creative agency, um, primarily building identity, uh, branding. Um, and we worked with companies like Quaker Oats and Kraft and, 
um, Intel and, you know, big companies like that. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You just went from creative creative family to, like, operational to I just ran a content agency running, like, some major brands. And you just, like, did that in a minute. We need to dig in a little bit more to that. So if you were, like, your background or your history is traditionally in operations, um, you know, I fell into an Amazon agency. Like, you know, I built it from the ground up. I don't believe there was a model ahead of me that did it. I was kind of copying like creative or ad agencies, just what I had read in books, not that I had worked at it or anything, you know. So for me to get to my agency was kind of unorthodox. And I really just kind of found myself handling multiple products, projects, which made it feel like an agency. Um, How did you like, did you work at an agency when you were younger and see that model and be like, I'm going to build one or like, you know, how did you create an agency to get to those types of brands? I think that's that's a life goal for some people. Well, I worked for a couple of ad agencies in, in Silicon Valley and Palo Alto. And, um, okay. and after college, which I graduated in journalism, <clears throat> and I, I don't even know what journalism is anymore. But um, so I worked for a couple of ad agencies, and they did the most boring thing ever. It's like, let's make wafer steppers and, you know, chips sound sexy, right? And uh, uh, just... Uh, was not a great environment for me, but I needed a job. So I, you know, did it and I, and it was my first way in. Right. Um, my brother who was actually a creative actually ran uh, he was senior art director at a company called SBG partners, which is one of the WPP uh, companies. And they, they focus on branding. Right. So he left his company 1989, somewhere around there. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm bored to, tears here let's start our own so so we started our own company and my job was basically bring in the bring in the 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 clients and his job was to perform (laughs) so uh i think our first deal was um gear deli chocolate um we actually ended up running everything visual out of that company for about 10 years wow um that's really cool any packaging any you know in aisle display, uh, any ads, um, store environments, all that sort of stuff we did uh, for uh, Ghirardelli. And they were a great uh, client for, for many years. Uh, but then we expanded out into, I guess we, we found our kind of niche into food and really natural food, um, but worked with Quaker Oats and Kraft and, and Kensington Technology as well. And, you know, um, companies like that, Miller Brewing Company, and then, you know, Probably the, the funnest project I ever had was Margaritaville with uh, Jimmy Buffett. Um, we did all the okay. the tequila design for his uh, his foray into uh, t- tequila, and um, that was really it was a really fun project. So I had a great run there. Um, there was a guy named Ken Burke that came into my office about I don't want to say ninety three ninety four. I'm not really sure. Um, and he had this idea of building websites on, and, you know, remember the old AOL thing? You'd just drop it in and you'd get, you know, you'd have to drop in a disk to get the internet. Well, he had this thing where you buy it on the web, or, or uh, I think it was called, that you could build a, a web store on a disk, right? And you'd load in your AOL thing, you'd unload that, you'd put it in this thing, and then you could build a store. Um, well, that lasted about six months, maybe a year, and then... He actually created an interface. And so we started designing an interface work for him. And as I talked to him more and more, I was like, wow, this guy's really onto something. 
and uh, ended up, you know, I think it was 99 sold my company. Um, uh, and so 10 years. Yeah, I did 10 years in, About in the see space. It was a good run in the marina in San Francisco. It was great. Um, but then I moved up to Petaluma, where close to where I live now, uh, and uh, sold Market Live, which was this company that I went to work with. We quickly grow to about 250 people. Uh, it was really one of the first e-commerce platforms out there. Um, and uh, Ken Burks, what did it do? What did it do at that time? So what we did is uh, the, it was a e-commerce platform where you could build, you know, your stores, environments, had a okay, okay. whole thing. And uh, okay. so, so we, Market Live was that was that interface that you could build websites, maybe like the first Shopify-ish type of thing. Well, we, Blue Martini, Broad Vision, those things aren't even names anymore, but those were who we kind of, uh, ATG, those were kind of who we went up against. Um, uh, it's now called Kibo Commerce. Uh, it was rolled into a, a, another company called Kibo. And it sold that in 2016. Uh, Market Live was sold out, um, but it was a great run. And we we just cleaned up on catalogers who had pick, pack, and ship, and really understood the direct, you know, the direct model, but um, you know, didn't really understand the the internet, you know. And they could take a couple orders here and there via email, but uh, when we could show them what we could do in the store, they were like, whoa. And so we went from like 1% of, uh, uh, of our, you know, our, excuse me, when I was talking to many of these customers, they're like, well, 1% of our business is on the, you know, is on the internet. Then it turned to 5%, 10%, 20%. I mean, it's like these catalog companies just blew up Sundance and, um, uh, uh, kind of blanking, but HSN, you know, big direct companies, um, uh, Urban Outfitters was one of them, you know, Anthropology companies like that are, are, are shipping catalogs out and just spending a ton of money uh, shipping catalogs out. Print. Yeah. Did you know, I don't know if we had this, we had this conversation, but I've been in the Amazon space 11 years. One of the first companies I worked at was a toy company that was like very successful in catalog. Yeah. And I was essentially hired like my was to take them into like e-commerce, you know, essentially and oh, try to make that transition. Yeah. So have some experience, just like they were spending so much money on print and, you know, the creative team was designing for print and, you know, it just had to be a huge change in culture to essentially get them to start creating, you know, not just for like this little area of a magazine, but like I need a seven image suite, like let's sell some product on Amazon, you know, yeah. or, or e-com and really changing the way they thought and were paying to do things. Because what was happening, we were paying several dollars a magazine, right? Like the costs get high, and um, plus all the time to put into it, and then you're just getting a direct search in your, yeah, in Google or whatever, right? They're just coming in and typing in the brand name and doing a direct brand search. So it's like you're paying a ton to get to get some brand awareness, you know? Uh, yeah. And so it's like our e-commerce showed sales, but it wasn't really sales, at least at that time, because what it was really doing is it was just like they're getting the catalog, they're going to the web, searching the product and buying it. Um, just kind of cannibalizing. It was really difficult, honestly, um, to make that transition. So I hear what you're saying in regards to working directly with catalog. They understood it, but it was like easier said than done. Yeah, it's kind of funny that uh, direct mail is actually coming back a, a bit. Um, mm -hmm. It is a branding. Method. I love it. I love getting mail. So um, handling all the channels and kind of just working, uh, building a brand via multiple um, 
uh, touch points is is you know a great idea. And, and you know, I think a lot of people cut threw away those catalogs and went directly to the web and said, "Hey, we'll do it all." But then they realized, like, if they're using Amazon as their primary source of the shopping cart, basically, is what they'd be using Amazon for. That in your scenario, um, then they're losing all their branding, right? Um, uh, if they stop mailing that catalog, so um, I think a lot of people are are doing things like that now. Direct mail cards or uh, catalogs are are, are kind of coming back. Um, yeah, that's that's one thing you can do on Amazon. But uh, you know, most of the stores I was working with were building direct, um, you know, on their own platform, and then and then would look at other channels like Amazon, eBay, etc. Uh, beyond that, totally. And we we were too at that time. I was an e-commerce manager, so the websites were my primary. Like they were definitely mm-hmm. my primary focus. And then um, you know, Amazon, eBay were growing channels, but we were like at the when we were dealing with the catalog it was very much catalog website and like you know just trying to trying to draw a straight line to like roas and roi knowing that you're paying for this in print and then you've got retargeting and how many times are we eating on that before we get a sale you know or how many times we paying for that sale um attribution was difficult and then you're later i get it email campaign management and you know all that stuff too Where, so, where, yeah. where are you attributing it to, right? Is it the catalog, like direct mail? Is it retargeting? Is it email marketing? Is it actual, uh, affiliate marketing? Back in the day, it wasn't as seamless when you were doing print to mix it in, what that real attribution was like, because yeah. it was just a high cost on the print side. Absolutely. Yeah. So Okay. So back to, back to focus. <laughs> okay. So you're crushing it. You guys were crushing it with... Um, these catalog companies, getting them up, getting them online, you know, helping them brand as well. Um, you know, another presence. Oh, we can look them up online. And this was novel. Yeah. Well, in, uh, in 2001, two, three, yeah. Super novel. Um, and yeah, we were just landing a ton of business. Uh, obviously it got, it got a little crowded there uh, with other folks jumping in, but you know, we did, we did a, a good amount of business. Uh, I, I did that till, about 2006, 2007. Uh, and then I went to work for the company called Magento, which I ran global okay. sales for, for Magento as they, their first iteration. We, ch- in the, we chat about that. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was an interesting run where we, we, uh, we built that out and actually sold it to eBay. So um, that was just a couple of years. And then uh, I started, I came to Azidia in about 2012. So I've been here ever since. Okay. And um, we'll talk about Azidia, but a little bit of fun with Magento, the catalog company I was at. We upgraded to Magento Enterprise, and uh, I was using the M2E Pro eBay extension. Yeah. Okay, which could use Amazon and eBay, I think, at the time. And it was, like, basically pushing out the catalog in the early days from, uh, you know, as a Shopify plugin. Really, yeah. like at the time, you know, yeah. it was just archaic. I mean, these things were like archaic now, yeah, revolutionary at the time. Well, and right? the Magento and, app uh, marketplace was actually like the the first first platform to actually do that. Um, and yeah, I remember wrapping my head around it, like, yeah, and a lot of, a lot of the a lot of the apps in that marketplace had no business being, <laughs> being in the marketplace. There, there, there was a lot, yeah. of, a lot of you know stuff that didn't really quite work right. But uh, it was in early days and, you know, companies like Avalara were great big partners 
of ours and they've blown it up right you know um you know uh but that marketplace became a very good um really the main uh the main driver of that business yeah i remember going to several like magento meetups networking events even in kansas city and just being like I was trying to learn everything about e-commerce that I could. And we had just like brought on Magento and I was like, you know, what is like just trying to learn really at a high level fast, as fast as I could. Um, and it was just still like, it was still a lot at that size. We had four brands, so four different companies um, managing all of the data. You know, we really had one or two people doing a lot of work yeah. uh, back in those days. It was fun. Okay. So 2012, Azidia. Um I've definitely heard of Azidia before we've met. Like, you know, you've seen Azidia out in the, in the marketplace a long time. Talk to me about, you know, joining them and, and like, you know, what you guys do there for anyone that doesn't know. So, yeah, I, I came on as the founding sales guy uh, in 2012 and, and uh, with a couple other guys. And, and we, uh, our purpose was really, my background has been so much on the platform side and when we ever launched these sites, like we'd get launch a athleta site or, you know, whatever it might be, you know, say new athleta site, it would always come down to, okay, we built this great vessel. Now where's the content, right? And so that last kind of minute, the last minute stuff was always like, okay, let's just pour this is product data. Let's put it, pour it in there and you get it. And that's no way to really build a brand or, you know, a good customer experience. So um, that's what our focus is on. We, we are experts in, in item setup and uh, getting all your, you know, assets together and launching a product. And not only just a product, but a product that scales. So typically we're working with big retailers like CBS, Lowe's, uh, Walmart. Amazon is my biggest customer. Um, and what we do is work directly with these big retailers to actually optimize their content, get products set up um, for their either vendors or or um, directly with them, um, and then make sure that they're optimized for sales, right? So that search traffic can, can drive you there to those pages. Um, but then when you land on those pages, there's an engaging experience there that actually helps you with sell-through right? Traffic and conversion, right? And I think that's fire and ice, like in our world, it's like eyeballs and then selling, right? Yeah. Um, and whatever that looks like you're selling on. We know Amazon has one of the highest conversion rates of any of the platforms because they really invented the two-day shipping and it made it where we didn't have to second guess if we were getting the items. We didn't have to like, if they didn't show up, they would refund us back in the day. Like Amazon really bought trust. And that's why I think why their conversion rate so high is that trust factor. But you're so right. Like Marknology has essentially been built. We turn eight um, to improve the catalog. Like to, we help vendors operationally run an Amazon business and things like that. But it's it's really improving the catalog with content, pushing the limits on storytelling. Like I would love to. I'll have to show you some of our work after this, just so you can kind of see what we're doing. Yeah. We talked about it at the booth, but um, you know, the team's really pushing the limits of what's possible on Amazon, but that, that same thing could be done if someone obsessed about Walmart or someone obsessed about, you know, eBay or someone obsessed about Chewy.com. There's always going to be another layer of how can I take what's kind of automated and what's standard, 
you know, as far as like getting product up just like everyone else. And then how can I take that to the next level? Yeah. Um, so is, is Idia really is that as a PIM? Like, you know, what, how would you guys classify? People can confuse us with a PIM. Uh, we're really a content development platform. Uh, we partner, okay. you know, I have partnerships with Syndigo, Salsify, um, you know, uh, Sand. Um, you know, we're really PIM agnostic. So, uh, you know, our goal is to get the data out of the PIM, enrich it any way we can, or, you know, and either put it back in the PIM or launch it to the website. It just depends. Workflows really customized depending on what the end customer wants. Um, uh, and primarily, I think the PIM world is really focused on getting manufacturer con content, um, getting all that data and those assets together. But they're not about yeah. the storytelling, right? So yes. if I'm launching manufacturer, if I'm Procter & Gamble and I'm launching manufacturer content to 200 websites, that's duplicate content going everywhere, right? Now, if I, mm -hmm. want, to, if I want to take my top five, you know, top five sites and I want to maybe adjust the content a little bit for those websites, try different campaigns, you know, a different types of storytelling, but reach different markets, um, then you need to adjust the content. And that's, that's what yep. we, so we build content strategy. That's like number one content SEO strategy. And then we are one of the rare companies that actually activate against it. So we'll actually build the content at scale. Uh, and I'm talking like for Walmart, we were doing 20,000 products a month for Walmart for about eight years. We were doing that. Um, that's insane. That's yeah. insane. And so, um, you know, and we're, we're doing that primarily through an application we have uh, called Crew Machine, which is a, um, a crowdsource, crowdsource management platform. So I have about 35,000 people around the world that work in this platform that just pick up tasks and, you know, we manage it all. We're responsible for all the, the, um, uh, the final output, uh, the quality controls, all that sort of stuff comes through us directly. Um, so no one ever has to deal with the crowd. We're managing that ourselves. Um, but that's crazy. That's, that's quite the feat. Yeah. It allows us to do a, a lot of really cool things with data. Um, not only just with content, but with data annotation and, and, and things like that. Well, I love that. I want, I have some more questions for us, but before I jump in, um, finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io. We can build a software team quickly and affordably, use a full-scale platform to define your technical needs, and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. You know, I, I read articles uh, about Amazon being a pretty bad place to build brands. Um, you know, we're talking about content. We're talking about branding. I think that's how we had our original conversation. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of aggregators would argue about this. You know, uh, my booth, I had like a pretty aggressive comment up there about like, you know, not going cheap on your content. Um, you know, what's your opinion on, you know, that our title for today is, is actually how to use content to create more profit. So talking about building a brand on Amazon, is it a good place for that? You know, how to use content to really bring out the storytelling elements of your brand, make you stand out in a world that's like, you know, it, it's all about where can I get it cheapest? And, you know, I think we're trying to change from that a little bit, going back to talking about not just quick and fast, but like talk about the quality of things and the story behind them. And it's something I've definitely been pushing the envelope with my team for a long time. 
And um, I would love to just hear your opinion on that. Like, uh, I know it's it's not the best place to, to build a brand, meaning Amazon, but I think that's just because people aren't doing it right. I do think it is a great place to build a brand. You just, just the majority of people are not, um, you know, give me your, give me your thoughts on that. Kind of just yeah. today's, today's market. We're in 20, at the end of 2022, but 2023 and beyond, um, more marketplaces than ever, Chewy.com and Instacart, and all these, you know, marketplaces come up for all different things. Um, are these good places to build brands still? You know? Yeah, I think, uh, I think what happened when the aggregators came out and started, they really raised a lot of money about, Hey, we're building these big brands on Amazon. And, and, um, that, I think there was a big mistake there. And, and, in the, in the fact that I don't think Amazon is a, a good place to build brand at all. I think it's a channel that you use. It's a great shopping cart basically. Right. Um, you can do a certain amount of things. You, you can tell a certain amount of your story, but it's pretty much templated to whatever Amazon will let you do with their A plus content or, you know, uh, in the product description page, uh, you know, and then all the other stuff that Amazon controls, like, you know, access to the customer data, you know, all that sort of thing. Yep. So I think it's a, it's a channel. I think if you really want to build a brand, you need to, you know, it's got to be TikTok and Facebook and, you know, all the social stuff um wrapped around using you know driving traffic to amazon or ebay or whatever you want it to do um but that is basically thinking of amazon as that shopping cart, cart which is fantastic you know uh once you land somebody yeah, the conversion rates are insane it's worth it right it's worth it um but if you really want to build a brand like a you know like an all birds or i'll just use like tom's or canyon bikes i you know i, I i'm a mountain biker so i, I think of them you know Building your website initially on on a Shopify or something like that, Magento, I guess, whatever you want to use. Um, uh, and then, you know, using those different channels, you know, uh, you can't ignore Amazon. That's a great way to, to, to sell product. But if you want to build a brand, I think it, you have to, you, you, all that storytelling has to be done really out, outside of Amazon. Or, and it has it's to like, be- it's like, look. I'll make an analogy here just because I like to think about business and like in dating relationships, like uh, examples. Okay. But it's like, you know, it's like using Amazon to meet the girl at the bar or have that first conversation, but it's loud. You're probably not getting to like really share that much with each other. You know, you're in a, like, you're in a bar, you're in a club, you meet, it's a place to get, you know, customer acquisition basically is how I think about it. Amazon in a lot of ways, like you can meet briefly, but if you really want to tell a story of your products and who you are and what you're doing and ask questions about your customer to your customer, which is like with follow-ups and what, how did you hear about us? And, you know, um, would you share us with a friend and all those interactions that you're going to have like date two, date three, date four, date five, let's say yeah. that stuff's way easier off Amazon right or off these channels where it's like you're trying to get them with a product insert to join your email list where you can continue to talk to them or you're trying to um you know get them to join social by tagging you and stuff so that you can continue to engage with them um you know it is a way to get new customers it's but to nurture the relationship you need to be able to sit down at a dinner and talk and like you know and i think that's where like on your website you can have video and you can just have all these things kind of just like nurturing um, cause there's different areas, right? There's acquisition then there's nurturing and retention. Um, you know, you have all these different aspects of a good, healthy e-commerce brand. Um, and Amazon is kind of missing some of that. 
Absolutely. As an example. Right. They're missing it purposely. They want, they want to own all that. Um, the, you know, um, yeah, I just think, I, I, it, it, you know, I've worked with, a, like I worked with Perch and, you know, everyone there was from Bain Capital, right? So they had no idea about how to really run a brand. Um, I think they are now scrambling, like all these companies are scrambling to like, hey, let's get some brand people in here, you know, to understand how to do some of this stuff. And um, uh, uh, so that that world is changing pretty drastic, drastically pretty fast. And the ones that have money still to do it can pivot and actually do that. Some of those are, you know, moving along, you know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it, it's, it, it, the other thing about the whole thing is risk. Like if Amazon decides, you know, we don't like these products or shut you down for some reason, then you've got all your eggs in one basket and, and you're, you don't have any brand that you can actually you know, make that pivot and go somewhere else, right? With that brand that people recognize that, 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 that story that you're telling, you know, not just, it's just doesn't have, right. to I'm telling the story on my, my other website or social or, you know, one of these other channels uh, or in store, you know, put, we, we push brands all the time. You know, it's a good thing to see, like, let's say you're running branded ads. And what I mean by branded ads is like, you know, you're, um, your marknology and someone's coming to the search bar at Amazon and typing in marknology, clicking one of my ads or clicking one of my products and buying it. So it's good to have like, you know, top of funnel awareness. You know that people are searching your brand, you're doing something right. They're hearing about you, they're remembering you, they saw you in a Facebook ad, they saw you somewhere, they're coming in and searching for you and buying. Yep. That's a good thing in some ways because it means you're doing some stuff right. At the same time, there's so many already well-known brands that sell like retail brands that sell on Amazon that essentially are just capturing sales that they have already gotten in the bag. People are already looking for them. A lot of advertisers just like run these great, you know, these great campaigns, these great ROI campaigns. And all they're doing is capitalizing on top of like that brand search, right? Mm -hmm. They're not actually going and getting new customers on Amazon, which I think is the point of, of the platform. Yeah. Um, you're making it easy for them to buy. They trust you. They've got Prime. They know that they're guaranteed to get the product back or get refunded if something goes wrong. They have the ability to review you. You're not going to be able to take three weeks to send them that band tee. Like it's trust, trust, trust. Then you get new customers that essentially try your brand and try your product. And then you hope to get them in the fold, like whatever that looks like, right? And that could be subscribe and save so you don't have to pay again. That could be get them on the website, upsell them on, on the e-com. Um, but so many retail brands are essentially just benefiting from that top of funnel. And if they have agencies running it for them, those agencies aren't even doing it right. Yeah. And really what I mean by like, you're talking about profit is like, in my opinion, if your listing lacks proper SEO and proper storytelling content, which would convince a new customer that's never heard of you to buy, then you're really, all you're doing is giving away tons of margin and tons of profit by being on Amazon. But if you're on Amazon where you're, you're, goal is to go get new customers, new customer acquisition, new to brand by having keywords in there that matter, having content that says like, this is why you should buy our product and why it's going to be amazing when you have it. And you're going to love it. It's going to make your life better. And like all these like convincing type of content versus like I'm Lululemon lifestyle pictures, six lifestyle pictures of girls in leggings, uh, wearing it seven different angles. Like that's not going to convince a new customer. That's only going to convince someone that already knows of Lululemon that's there to buy it. So I know it took like a couple minutes to get that out, but does that make sense? Like oh, I think totally, totally. people are really you, missing it. Uh, and you know, Amazon's a market where like Lululemon could be doing that. And then, you know, there's, they, they compare you to five or six other 
brands that 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 you have an opportunity to actually pull that if you do a better job of it, you can actually pull that customer away from Lululemon, right? Because especially in the, I, I saw some data recently that in this you know market with inflation, people are coming to buy these items, but they're using the you know uh, the alternate you know alternate um, uh, or options uh, to you know, maybe go down. You know, they might go downgrade. Hey, let's, let's you know let's save a save, save a little bit of money. Yeah, and um, if you do a better job of telling your story. And create, you know, in the storytelling, we always talk about this, it's like it's emotional connection. Whatever you can do, create that emotional connection with your, your customer. And Amazon's not the greatest place to do it. But if you can tell that story better than the other guy. Well, I do have, I did just release uh, an Orange Click uh, speaking session on creating an emotional connection on Amazon, giving people some tips yeah. on uh, not, it's not always being the best. It doesn't have to be the best channel to be the channel to do that, but you very much still can. Uh, and it just comes down to a lot of the people, the operators that have figured out, in my opinion, these marketplaces, e-com, they're technicals, they're operators. Yeah. They're the first, they're the first to the field. And so, you know, they, they're figuring out how data files and how to, you know, deploy <laughs> content and how to reprice at scale and how to like, you know, be in 200 different websites. And that's really the thinkers that have pioneered e-commerce. Um, but it's the storytellers that sell. And so as everything gets more challenging, as catalogs have all been uploaded to Amazon, it's like, you know, more and more of the products and, par and parts and things that we see in the marketplace are now on these marketplaces. And it's not just first to market that's getting the sales. It's actually who's storytelling well, who's doing content well. Um, and the content comes back to me to trust. So, you know, essentially like imagine if you were like selling and someone has Lululemon and they're not, they're not conversating, but they're there and they're like, buy my leggings. And then you have a vendor here, uh, also cool and trendy store. Okay. And they're saying like, look, I know that I'm $50 less than Lululemon, but I'm using the same manufacturer. I've got the same quality of materials. Like it's, you know, $50 less. Look at all these other like famous people wearing my stuff, these influencers, like, you know, and this is like, I make these uh, right here in Kansas City. Uh, you know, I'm making stuff up. But essentially, yeah. like, if they're standing right there, and they're able to say all those things to that customer that's standing in front of Lululemon saying nothing, or come over to me, and I say all these things, you know, it's not that hard to believe that that person's saying, like, I'll take a chance with these leggings. Yeah, absolutely. you know, they're fifty dollars less. I met the I met the owner. Uh, they make them right here in Kansas City. I love that. Uh, they have this camo color that Lululemon doesn't have, like, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, that's that engagement. That's that effort that the small brands are taking, in my opinion. And apparel is really the worst, one of the worst categories. So we're using them as an example. But, um, you know, supplements, all these other things. Uh, it's not that hard to believe that this person, this person with salesmanship, with, you know, storytelling, which is essentially there, is going to beat the person that just uploaded seven photos and is, is relying on their brand name, to, you know, to, to get it. It will it will decrease over time. So um, that's why I've been pushing the content message and the storytelling message, which I know you're on board with. Yeah. Um, it's just because I've been stealing market share for years from the Nabisco's and the Chips Ahoy and all these, like, you know, these big brands that are essentially not putting in the effort to do that on each marketplace because there's, um, brand, you know, right? And, and, and they're allowing you to come in and, you know, pull from that. Um, I think the thing you missed is like, 
then you have to authenticity. It has to, the authenticity is, is super important. And then you have to deliver on what you've promised on online. So when that person, yep. that is where you build the brand and that person you've just told the story to gets that package and you know, all the, it's got, it's a rich experience. They open it up and it's actually like, delivered like an Apple box, right? It's a great experience. They put them on. Oh yes. Everything that, you know, they promised me is, is, is real. That's, and that's what Amazon does in my opinion. That's it. Like that's what Amazon does first, yeah. like best. So you can do that on your website, but when you launch a brand on Amazon or you're building a brand on Amazon, you are getting the trust of Amazon, which at the beginning of e-commerce I think was super super important. Like people just didn't. There was a million websites and people would order stuff and never get it, and it would take too long. And yeah, you know, Amazon's building that trust, and I think. I think we we're in the trust business and that's what the difference in like great content and great storytelling does is it builds trust. You still have to deliver. And that's where that final piece is like, you know, like you're saying, but Amazon will crush you if you're selling a bad product. Yeah. Like that's part of the trust that's built in is like, actually I'm going to go to my peers, read these reviews, especially after they get, they got rid of the gamification of the reviews and some of that stuff. It's really, really cleaned up in my opinion. Yeah. Um, it's really, really hard to have a bunch of fake, positive reviews on amazon that aren't real like you know so the end of the day it's almost assumed your product has to deliver on what you're saying or they'll roast you yeah yeah great Great. no fisherman stories anymore take a picture and measure it i want to see it you know it's (laughs) like um and that's why user generated content we come back to content we come back to profit the title of the episode is like i think that's why user generated content from an iphone and TikTok and all of these things are are taking the world by storm. Sales by storm, econ by storm is because it becomes very hard to fake uh, at home filmed iPhone review of a product, or you know an iPhone um, you know interaction video on TikTok or an explainer video on TikTok. It's that easy. Let me show you. I'm unboxing it. This is what you should expect. Your expectations are in line. Yeah. It gets rid of all of that. Just like the world we've been living in where we've been marketed to with like a bunch of marketing that we don't believe in anymore. And I think the user generated content piece, that storytelling piece is bringing it back to the people essentially to choose like what products they like and what they want to buy and the quality and why they're buying it. And um, we're talking about Amazon because that's my world, but really whether that's TikTok or e-com or wherever people are engaging with your brand, um, even if you have a retail store, you know, you're using content and storytelling online to drive people in or you should be or, you know, whatever that is, wherever people are going to interact on your website, be like, do I want to go there for dinner? What's the vibes? You know, do I need reservations? Like, is it intimate? What's the story you're sharing online for your for your retail store, you know, or whatever, or your restaurant? Um, and that stuff gets me exciting because I love storytelling. I think the, the difficulty has just been I saw Amazon um, – as, as I worked early with Adidas and saw amazing content from Adidas. And uh, that's what had me hooked with like, I'm trying to get good content ever since then. was like, yeah. I want nothing less. I saw the results of good content and I want to try to figure out how to do that over and over. Very good. Very good. How does like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can get, I can get caught up because I'm very passionate about this kind of <laughs> like this topic. I think, I think people don't really get it, but it's like, it's nuance and it's, you know, it's detail. But it's really just thinking critically, like, do I feel any kind of emotion looking at this image? And if yeah. not, you're missing the mark. Yeah, know? I think one of the, uh, I can't remember who said it, but um, one of the early storyteller, you know, ad agency guys, 
that branding is a promise. Like you're building a promise. And as soon as you don't deliver on that promise, whether wherever it might be, your branding's done, right? So and you've seen, you know, all kinds of stories of, of companies of new Coke, you know, whatever. Just they make a change, don't consider their consumer at all, and you know, everything goes to hell, right? Um uh so things, you know, examples, there's a million examples like that in business school, right? But um uh you know it's it we're just telling the same thing we told when you know in my agency days when we built Ghirardelli it was all about telling the story about the of the Di Domenico family that's you know been here since 1849 and you know done x y and z and they you know created this chocolate company and they used the best ingredients and all this stuff it's a story that you're telling and people come to San Francisco and they typically leave with a box of Ghirardelli chocolate right uh, they buy it yeah. there right so um uh you know that's it's, it's the oldest game in the book um but it has to be done authentically and uh you have to know how to do it in all these channels right yeah i i agree and i think i think just to add to that um and i got a final question for you but just to add to that i would say like there's this blend at least on amazon with the different elements that you're allowed to create within the confines like the a plus page and the storefronts and like just how creative can you get one is to get creators that are natural to amazon not just creators that come and do a page for you because they're a great designer and they come and get hired to do a project but ones that understand amazon and are getting better at amazon and obsessing about amazon yeah is completely different and then um the other one would be that blend of the brand story as a whole who are we but then that second part, which is comes down to the selling part, my opinion, which is how to make the customer the hero, the potential customer, the story of that customer buying the product and what they're going to get. This dress is going to make you look amazing. It's going to fit you. It's one size fits all. It's like, you know, it's elegant. It's, um, you know, it's going to be affordable and help you save money. Whatever we're doing to make that product, make the customer the hero of that product. So you have like the overall you know, we're Ghirardelli chocolate, we've been around for 200 years, like this is who we are, but then also this is who you are when you buy our product. Exactly. And that's a story to be told too. Um, that's the emotional connection, right? I, that you want to put that yeah. person into that story. Exactly. And I think that's the magic. And it's like, you know, this is something that's been as old as time, but it's about who's paying attention to what channel and you know who's getting who's getting good at that within that channel and whether that's walmart or chewy or instacart or you know wherever they all have nuance and um i get excited talking about it because it's like if you're an e-com business relying on your e-com and you're trying to get better there's so much opportunity i'm someone that just like professional curiosity is up charts like i just i just love this stuff i obsess about new stuff when i get find something i haven't learned i just really dig in i get excited about it and i'm still there yeah. Um, I'm still like enjoying it. And so, uh, you know, whenever you get your first listing on Amazon, it's converting at 44% or something because you nailed that story. Like it's intoxicating. Yeah. And it's yeah, like, absolutely. you know, everyone, everyone that comes to San Francisco buys one out of two buys chocolate, you know, type of thing basically. And you're just like, that's incredible. That's insane. You nailed it, you know? Yeah. So, um, well, tell me about like, just, we're, you know, we're wrapping up on time, but like, I could pick your brain all day and chat about this because it's, it's very rare in our space to be talking content. So, you know, so deeply about in like just the, what's really needed. It's simple, but it's like, what's needed. Um, what is something like who want two questions? One, 
who is Azidia like really a fit for? Like at what size? Because, you know, you obviously mentioned some of the heavy hitters like Walmart and Amazon and 20000 a month and all that kind of stuff. But talk to me just about Azidia and, um, you know, how it can help brands that are maybe like founders that are listening to my channel. And then like what's something you guys are working on right now as a team you guys are excited about? Um, so, yeah, it's uh, so we I, I'd say we mid market to upper mid market kind of customer. So we'd go down to, okay. you know, companies like Acme Tools would be, you know, they have like 40 retail locations, but they also sell online. Um, uh, you know, they have some sophistication and multiple channels. Um, what we're really good at is, is that next generation of content has to go to beyond the PIM and be uh, customized for those different channels. So if I'm selling, awesome. yep. like, I'm selling on Walmart, eBay, and Amazon, I need to have different strategies for those different uh, channels. And we all know that they all have different formats and standards and all that stuff. But I can also start targeting different types of folks or uh, adjusting that content so it's not duplicate on all those different uh, platforms. And I can... 100%. And this is honestly why I stayed away from all those softwares for so long as someone that was like, doing it myself, I knew that that extra 20% difference between channels or whatever was the difference in going viral or not, right? It was like those tweaks. And so it was like, no, I want to keep my hands on the feed files. I don't just want to let, you know, a brand, I'm like, no, you can't just push content with these feed files. Like we need to be careful. We need to be like deliberate and we need to make sure all of the data is correct. And like, you know, it, it just back then when it first came out, it was like, it was just this automation of pushing content to a platform. And when you're someone that can tweak it down to one listing because you're getting hired for one listing to make it amazing instead of to do 10,000 listings at scale, and you know that the focus on one is the difference in being a top seller or not, it really resist. I really, really resisted, um, you know, any kind of partners like, uh, you know, a feed visor or like, you know, any, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of some of them that well, come to mind, not techometrics, but. Yeah, most of yeah, the most of the PIMs, like you know, and so like that's super interesting. I, I just haven't really heard it. I've seen his idiot in the market, but I just haven't heard it explained that simply like that. It's like it's it's a it's a tool to help you customize per marketplace. And I know that sounds simple, but um, huge need that I have yet to hear of. Yeah, and it's 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 a difficult thing, and it I think content is really the hardest part. Uh, it's kind of the hardest last piece of this whole ecosystem that. Um, that no, people have not been able to programmatically just take care of it, right? There's all kinds of yep. there's all kinds of companies that are trying to do AI content and things like that, but it's just not there yet at all. And it won't tell your no. story. Um, uh, so yeah. yeah, the American customer is 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 spoiled. Like, let's be honest. Like, I don't mean that like yeah. any type of way, but the American customer is like we get the best marketing, we get the best advertising, we have the most per capita as, as like, you know, citizens to spend like, you know, so we spend more than all these other countries. Like the marketing is just way more sophisticated. We're used to seeing movies like Avatar and Lord of the Rings and like, you know, high budget commercials and ads and like, you know, stuff. So we're kind of spoiled. So in some ways, like that's why the user generated content that's super amateur is like doing well because we're like, oh, I'm not being oversold at the other end. It's like, 
This isn't just like germ a German marketplace where you list the product, for example, and you're very factual about what comes in the contents and like, you know, what it is. And I use them as an example because that's just like as someone selling on that marketplace, it's like it's completely different. This one's like fluffy and emotional and like sell to me. Let me feel something. I want to feel something. Uh, but in Germany, it's like, no, hit me with the facts, you know? And so <laughs> it's really hard, to, I think, to have AI or other cultures, a lot of VAs, those types of teams mm-hmm. in create content for for um you know the u.s the u.s market um what do you say programmatically like that's what i'm just trying to say like just at scale like it still requires just that that human element i feel like to to really do it right yeah so our our crew machine is able to to do and we do some stuff programmatically and use some of that ai ai tool stuff but there's a human we put humans on everything that we you know that we push out the door and that human also has to be in, in market. Like if I, you know, frankly, if I, if I, you know, use a team in the Philippines and they build content for the USA, uh, a lot of times they can do a really great job, but many times, you know, it's a, there's this word here or misspelling or something that gives that customer a clue that this content's a little off. Like something you've lost trust. You've lost trust. It's like a red flag in a date, like, you know, kind of so, thing. Yeah. Um, I think it matters. Like, you know, it's just something that I've been studying for years to try to get right. And like, as someone that uses uh, offshore teams, like my team is international, uh, Martinology, it's been finding the right cultures, the right teams, the right designers, the right fit to say, you know, whoever's designing for this, it's like authenticity. Like, don't tell me about, you know, smoking weed if you've never smoked weed. Like, you know, don't tell me about being at a concert, like, you know, don't tell me you hate country music, but you've never been to a country concert and seeing the vibes and the energy of people just like singing along. And it's a good energy, whether you like the music or not. Like, you know, so that's kind of how I feel also about the content you're creating is like, if you've got a team made up of no one that's like experienced and no one that's done it, no one that knows what good looks like, no one that's bought a $250 watch or a $1,000 watch or whatever you're selling, just you got to know who's on your team. And, you know, for us, that looks like a blend basically to get it done is like you know we have u.s personnel working with designers and like you know just to bring that thing like just like you talked about having a um something designed in the philippines and bringing it here and a human has to touch it and say hey this is what needs to be tweaked it's that trust factor and you're like once you've broken brand you know it's over once you've broken that promise so that's what we're trying to do especially on a marketplace where there's so much competition depending on your product differentiation and what you're selling it's like um, how do we stand out from them? Well, you deliver on that promise that you're saying, and you know you you storytell really well, and that's how you stand out. Um, I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely, it's like you're echo- echoing. It's like you're echoing my mind, which like <laughs> I've been trying to preach this stuff. So it's just you know it's great to hear and hear it echoed. And um, just as we're wrapping up, I, we went a few minutes over, but like, what's something you guys are working on that you're excited? You know, going into 2023. Um, probably one of, one of our uh, biggest project right now is CBS. So CBS has, you know, of course they have a footprint across the United States and everywhere else uh, of their stores. Um, they have about, I have to be careful on what I, what I can say, but they have a lot of products that are in their stores, but for some reason or another, they're not up on their website. So we're actually taking all those products right now and, and, and not just doing item setup, but item setup, and and optimization so we're adding all the images we're adding um you know a plus type content or rich media um 
and we're doing it in different tiers. So we're looking at things like, you know, here are my category leaders, here are my best sellers, here are my, you know, whatever. Those might get, you know, a, you know, type A treatment, and you know, the supportive products might get type B tre treatment. You know, that way, you know, you can put your budget and your prioritize your budget and prioritize your products um, for you know what sells the best, um, and then. We believe highly, of course, of, of tracking everything. So we're tracking all the keywords and all the traffic, but not only that, but sales. So um, we're auditing all those products and making sure that you know that everything that we set up in the catalog is is you know adhering to these standards in in one of three tiers. And if we see things moving up, hey, we're going to go in. You know, th this product start to sell better. Let's 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 add Change that. Priority. Rich, rich media or whatever it takes to kind of get it. You know, we might also look at competitors of that product and say, okay, this is what these five competitors are doing. We need to, to beat them. So to, in order to beat them, we have to add a 500 words of content, uh, you know, three videos, a uh, seven, seven images, you know, update all the titles, you know, all that stuff. So we, we'll touch anything on that page to make it perform better. So I love it. And I love, it. I think yeah, that's, that's, that's fun. And I think that, that's a massive project to undertake. I know it is. And it's like, if it's anything like retail that I'm seeing on Amazon, you know, I've seen retail within my 10 years of doing this change where they're looking at Amazon. They're looking at these marketplaces to decide what products to keep in their stores. Like Home Depot does that. You have to be on homedepot.com. You have to be moving product. And that's now how the buyers or wherever the planners for the stores decide what products to put on the shelves is basically like what's doing well on homedepot.com or lowes.com. Um, and I would expect that's the same, you know, going forward, but you can make such better with the data. You can make such better, more informed decisions. It's like, okay, in Cali, let's have a lot more sunscreen on the shelves, for example, yeah. and in Florida, a lot more sunscreen on the shelves. And in like, you know, in Alabama in the swamp or whatever, let's have a bunch of bug spray and it changes, you know, I'm using silly examples, but it's like, you can use the data online in different zip codes to now get more accurate to have the right products in the right stores. Yeah. Um, you know, which to me would be like a no brainer if I was in retail to be able to have that information would be clutch. You're not making guesses anymore about what to put on the shelves. You're essentially getting the customers to tell you, um, which is you know, what you just unreal. mentioned is, is, you know, and we take all that data, what you just mentioned and build localized pages, really search landing pages at, at scale, like search landing pages are, are a big part of our business and that's that's all about hey you know if it for localized search if i'm in alabama bug spray is going to be a big one you know i need to have i need to have a page built around that um you know and it's uh, you know we're looking at all kinds of data from zip code data to um uh regional and you know statewide data and and, and deciding okay what pages need to be built for where uh, so we do a lot of that. I love it. Uh, um, so like you Brad, said, this is I'm awesome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to have your information. I'm going to have your information in the show notes, but just for anyone listening that's on the car, like where can people come in contact with you? Where can they follow you on LinkedIn? You know, you, you, um, you know, you write, you talk about the industry a lot. Like where can people follow along? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Brad Curtis, uh, at link LinkedIn. Um, but Azidia, uh, is is the name of the company. My uh, email address is brad.c at zidia, E-Z-D-I-A dot com. 
perfect. And we'll have all of your information and, and Brad's information in the show notes. Um, thanks again for hustlers for tuning in. And once again, do you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders? Let FullScale help. They have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let the platform match you up with a fully vetted, high-experienced team of software engineers, testers, and leaders. At FullScale, they specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. Super thankful to our sponsors being able to help us put this show together and promote it for free, keep it free. Um, so thanks again, Full Scale. Thanks again, Hustlers. And Brad, thank you so much for your time. Um, I could chat up with you all day. Yeah, man, it was a great time. Appreciate it, Andrew. Really appreciate having you on the show. We'll see you next time. All right. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.